0: It's time to talk music, audio gear, and anything else that crosses our minds. I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. And welcome to the Herton Audio Podcast. So, this week, we want to have a discussion about genre. Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Does it help people find music? Or does it put people off the music that they could potentially like? One of the main arguments you hear from a lot of pop artists is that they don't want to be put into a box when they have a lot of range. But the downside is... How can you find an artist that you've never heard of if there isn't a snazzy little word like grunge or pop or alt or that you post can click on? rock or there's so many so silly ones as well. Ones that don't really mean anything. You're like... Down to splittercore. Yeah. I mean, obviously, dance music has really got genre naming figured out because they split it up by sort of beat, BPM... And sound design, which is really what genres all about, and they sort of like micromanage it to a point where, if it's slightly faster, it's a different genre. Also, as you say, sort of to a certain degree, like harmonic content. Like you have a house, and then you have deep house, you have tropical house, like progressive and house. And there's a million houses you could go into, but um, it's one of those things where chances are, if you're looking for house and you know what type of house you like. Maybe it might be easier to find what you're looking for. Whereas, as we often complain about, when you go into rock, yeah, there's some subgenres there, there's a lot of subgenres there. Are they being utilized? Definitely not. <laughs> where does the line start between rock, hard rock, soft rock? It's like where how do you go about categorizing that a lot of bands that i mean people seem to like calling themselves hard rock does any band actually call themselves soft rock definitely not that's something that somebody else calls you i also think as well with the pop punk sort of revival it's all being called pop punk, but it isn't, is it? It's it's not pop punk as pop punk was in the two thousands. Also, when you look at like a lot of the bands on Wikipedia, a lot of these like pop punk revival bands are just listed as rock. Yeah, they'll just get put on the rock this playlist on Spotify. And and it is a myriad of genres as well. Like you say, like hardcore and, and post hardcore and and alternative, all, all sort of new metal. Up, yeah, new metal. It's they all, all blend sort of together. In. Yeah. So really, I feel like if you're using the uh, big brain marketing strategy of the people who coined the term grunge, what they really need to do for this pop punk revival is come up with a snazzy, be it similar, it can involve pop and punk, but they need to, a bit like with new metal, they need to say, this is a new wave of music, it's a new thing, this is going to make it really easy for everybody to find all these brand new bands that you sort of, at the moment, I feel like you're almost stumbling across them. Like, they're not, a lot of them, say if you take Hot Milk, for example, they're only just really getting radio play from what I've heard or on like Radio 1 and stuff. If you haven't already heard of them, or if it would be easier for say if you have heard of them, it's probably because you've either gone to gigs or you really... Scour the internet on YouTube. Or, or you've stuff just like heard them on Shuffle on Spotify in one of the many myriad of playlists on Spotify. You'll yeah. catch a song, and go right, I'll add that and check out the band on Spotify. Spotify brings up an interesting thing though, doesn't it? Because what do people do? They pick a genre on Spotify, a playlist, be it a hard rock or, or they, they have the specific ones like alt rock and yeah. new rock and all that. And But that leans straight back into a genre. Yeah. So it's hard because even if you as an artist want to be genreless, you want to be, you know, this is my whatever era and my whatever era, and I'm I'm like a fluid creative. At the end of the day, your songs are going to get put onto targeted playlists. And are you better off if your songs are specifically made for targeted playlists? I would have thought so. Because it's it's more like a marketing thing of it's easier for somebody else to look and go i think i know what that is i think i know what fits with that whereas when you're not when you sort of don't really give an inch in terms of fitting into a little box somebody might listen to it and go, well, I don't really know what that is, so I'm not going to put it on this playlist. And even at this point, if you completely sort of like, if you say mashing lots and lots of genres into one song like a band like Enter Shikari and stuff, you'll just get put in the alt category. Yeah, very true, yeah. So it's like, you'd sort of like a win-win-lose-lose sort of, thing there's not really an answer to a lot of this sort of stuff oh does seem to be where genre goes to die doesn't it it, it it's the sort of go, well we can't really figure out what this is so it must be alt rock yeah and it you know even down to like obviously you have alt pop and dark pop which sort of dark feed pop into is like, interesting yeah, yeah feed into this sort of the, the the pop side of this and you know there's probably a, a hundred genres in electronic and, and other genre fields that sort of bleed into this where you just have alternative you know it's just alternative and alternative can be whatever it wants to be it's alternative and then you have your alternative all normal genres as the and subtext people who enjoy categorizing and or gatekeeping however you sort of view it yeah. can then figure out what everybody in that is <laughs> yeah and i think it's beneficial to look for like i've been trying to look for ambient drum and bass and even on Bandcamp it's, it's tough very very difficult now if you put one more um genre classifier if you want to go deeper than just ambient and you want to try and look for a certain specific type of ambient drum and bass then you're really going to have a bad time because you're filtering through all this stuff that isn't what you're looking for it's like on Bandcamp Friday I was trying to look for some stuff that was like a little bit more like um PS1 revival style drum and bass. And I just could not find what I was looking for. And, you know, you can tell, obviously this is where the album covers come in and they really tell you, no, this is the one you're looking for because the album covers that I was looking for stood out like, you know, nothing else. But in in all honesty, though, that means that there could have been a, like a perfect, like ambient drum and bass album, mislabeled, misrepresented by the album cover. That might have been better than the ones you actually purchased. yeah. And again, this this comes into the age old thing. We all hate it. I think creative people do hate it, but people talk about marketing is more important than the music. And, and it, I don't think it is, but I do think that if you, maybe if you misstep your album cover or your overall brand, you might sort of, dissuade people from clicking. It's particularly on Bandcamp where if you're looking at like a billion artists all at once, unfortunately it is the one that catches your eye that you're gonna click on and maybe listen to. It's like it's no a digital music store or a streaming platform is no different to a physical music store. When you walk in to any shop like HMV or 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 any other kind, I mean, most of them show, I can only really think of H&V at the moment. Uh, So you walk into H&V, the first thing you're presented with is a wall of album covers, and it's all about which album cover grabs your attention, and what do you like, and does it fit into, say the type of music you listen to now if you see four guys and they've got drums and guitars on the arm cover you're gonna think well maybe they're a rock band they're probably a rock band sometimes when you just see a photo of somebody you've no idea when you see something more abstract you've no idea what it is now if you start to get to that classic rock thing of you see sort of the the color palettes the art design it looks a little bit like it is it looks a little bit like uh yes then you probably know it's going to be proggy but this is like a intuition thing and you've got to know what music, what a lot of bands and stuff have to then start to associate things. Now, if you don't know like the history of a genre, you're going to look at an album cover and say a shop like HMV, you're going to go, I've no idea what that is. And we've bought albums no idea what they are and just gone oh we'll just try it on the album cover and sometimes like in a music store, obviously yeah some of them you can listen and preview the records but most of the time you're not going to be able to do that that's that's gone way out of fashion it might be more of an american thing in like american vinyl shops as well but um in the uk we just just don't seem to get that um unless you go to like a really like Locals star maybe. Yeah, a specialist. A specialist vinyl record star. But like with CDs, you're not going to put a CD in a CD player and listen to it. Yeah, I can't, I can't even imagine like picking up like a, say like a U2 CD and then going to the counter and saying, can I listen to this? Yeah, it's just not it. going to happen. They, so. They'd be like, get your phone out. Just listen just to it on Spotify. It. Come back tomorrow maybe. Yeah, so... That's part of this like album cover genre. I think the album cover is as important as the genre a lot of the time because it sort of they go hand in hand. It sort of can tell you. It can be like a look, I'm this. Yeah. I'm a classic rock album in disguise or I'm not rock album or maybe I'm I'm heavy, I'm light, whatever it is. Yeah. But I do agree that an album cover it is like there's a reason why music and art was paired together i know i've seen discussions say well do we still need that i mean yeah. i think we need that more than ever in the streaming era you don't really need the album cover but did anybody enjoy the uh torrenting LimeWire napster days where you just had a load of mismatched wrongly named files with no album covers in itunes and you just didn't know what you had and most of them were trolls well, that's it. point that's it as well because, because you're how are you the- supposed to know you're probably nine yeah, you're on your mum and dad's computer, and you download a Toto song, and somebody gives you a Don Henley song. How on earth are you supposed to know the difference? Yeah, I remember downloading Mustang Sally, and it said it was by ZZ Top, but it wasn't. It was by, it was the original. Is it who does it? Is it Wall? Oh no, I don't. Know. I, can, I, can, I can't I'd remember. remember to. Google that one. But um, like I say, obviously, I much prefer looking at a towel, sort of like all the album artwork, and then just going, "I'll have that one." that's the benefit with album artwork that a lot of people overlook. And this is why I always have, like, I I never like the, oh, it's a picture of me stood in like a photo studio and my name in like Times New Roman at the side because it tells you nothing about the album. If if anything, it says piano pop, maybe. Yeah, well, (laughs) it just says your absolute standard sort of major label release because that's what they tend to do. They tend to go, face, uh, you stood against a cool wall, here's your name straight underneath your album title, that's your album cover. Whereas having like pieces of art with the band's logo at the top, name in the middle or somewhere, always seem to grab me a lot more. Or if the if the artists are placed in an interesting setting for the cover as well that can be an equally good representative yeah it can be like a photo shoot of like a full street lots going on and the band's like somewhere in the middle all in different places and those are a lot more interesting tells you a lot more about the band yeah than somebody just stood looking at the camera in like a a bland photo studio at that point you're going into like micro marketing of well the fact that one eyebrows raised tells you that this artist is a bit mischievous yeah and the fact that they're leaning or they're wearing this tells you they're comfortable and it's going to be relaxing. So I think at a certain point, like unless you literally shoot them for a living, like yeah. you take them pictures and you're directing these artists for a living, it's going to be lost on most people because you are going for a basic emotion to represent in like basically your pose. And I'm not sure that that how, you know, like accurate that is to do because also that there's a lot of situations where they're like, say oh this is like a edgier like more you know heavy hitting artist and you'll listen to the songs and you'll go in <laughs> i do think there's there's like um a weird thing going on with album covers where i'm seeing a lot of extremely plain album covers at the minute you know like album covers that are almost like just like to say the food fighters album is you almost have to squint when you see it on like Amazon or, or or Spotify to see what it is. Now there's a slight stripe going down. There's a, a slight I white like- line. But if you had it on vinyl, it might be more visible. But on digital screens, like on on an, any digital representation, you cannot see that album cover. It just looks white. Yeah, and and. I do think that's an interesting way to say if you're looking at a bunch of pictures and then one of them is just white well it might grab your attention. So to break down the Foo Fighters album cover, what do we think it represents? I would have thought it represents either purity or new beginnings based off the events with Taylor Hawkins and everything. Yeah. Basically a new a new a fresh start. That's that's what that album cover gives me. Yeah. But it's it's an interesting way to do it but i suppose like say for a band like foo fighters when uh, when they go through a traumatic experience how do you then i mean they couldn't be all like sat on like a brick wall like laughing and joking like a lot of the press photos they couldn't have put that out because it would have sent mixed messages i feel like maybe once they've sort of got back on their feet they can start leaning into something a bit more like they normally do but It's an interesting one to think about because I I suppose at this point as well, your album cover slash era, even though that it seems like a bit cringy sometimes to say era, but that seems to be a good descriptor for like the album tour singles either side package that you get with an album. At the moment, when people say era, they tend to think of one album, even though like I would said like before maybe the twenty tens you would think of it as like a, a trio or a, decade, Maybe a string a string of albums in a similar style but now it seems to just be right this is a new album this is a new era and that seems to be like the marketing strategy particularly in pop but obviously i've seen other genres start to adopt this because it's become so well, popular it sounds good in a press release doesn't it oh fresh new era i've dyed my hair blonde yeah well we always joke about the fact that a lot of people dye their hair blonde and it's like a new era and then the music sounds almost Basically the, same. the same um they might have slightly leaned to a different genre here or there like oh it's disco and um I've got blonde hair, so brand new era. That seems to be the major label strategy with a lot of pop acts at the moment. But would you say it's hard with the era's thing because you can radically pivot genres, but most of the time, even if you take somebody like Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift has a style that she uses. She has, a, she has her melodics and she has her songwriting sort of tool set that comes across. It doesn't matter whether you're listening to Reputation or or like a fearless. first album like, Fearless. It doesn't matter if you're listening to that or Antihero or whatever. It, at the end of the day, it comes across as Taylor Swift because her, with her being one of the main songwriters or the main songwriter in her project, she collaborates, but she primarily writes all of her songs. So... That always comes across. It doesn't matter whether there's trap hats or acoustic guitars. You get that first. And we end up sort of in this situation with genre where the genre doesn't really matter. It's more like the um, flavour, if you will, in your food because you can go into YouTube and look at heavy metal covers of pop songs, pop covers of heavy metal songs, you know, flip it both around. The The songs are still there. The skeleton of the song doesn't really change. It's just about the way it's dressed up. The, the the spices you as you will that they sprinkle on to turn it into a different genre a lot of the genres you can get away with putting a standard song in any different genre because at the end of the day the chords and the melody only do so much and you can interpret that in as many different ways as you will and a lot of genres yeah. are purely sound design so this starts to become like anybody can do any genre that they're comfortable with. Obviously people, like I think a lot of instrumentalists will, um like a lot of like instrument players is what I mean by that. <laughs> um, they will prefer playing in a certain style. Like a lot of rock guitarists will yeah. prefer if you're doing to If you like play. a shred, a shred wave situation, that's going to definitely push you into a certain box. Yeah. But it's yeah. The singers I think can when sort of do about, whatever they want because yeah. they just need to get, like, if you're a pop singer, you can go, I'll just get a different band. Well, yeah, because at the end of the day, if, if they say, have a producer in, they say, well, this one's going to be a pop thing. This one's going to be country. This one's going to be rock. And yeah. it's quite easy if you've just got really the skeleton of a song and a vocal to dress that up as whatever you want. Because like you say, it is mostly sound design and instrument choices. Yeah. And also sometimes it's just a mix. Sometimes you can have a pop mix and somebody could be like, we want to do a rock mix. It's like all you do, you lift your guitars up a bit, compress it a bit, put some extra bits of distortion, a bit more like edge on it. Yeah. And boom, it's its basically a rock mix. Or you just get like a drummer to play the program drum loop and bam, yeah. rock mix. You but know, it seems like, that simple some of the time. If it's a live band recording, like with country and, and, and stuff, it's very easy to turn a country song into a rock song Essentially, but just by mixing it, because a lot of the time they do have distorted guitars in the mix and stuff. It's just, it'll be balanced for country music. I mean, Shania Twain's a massive example. I know they did do some reinstrumentation, instrumentation but they delivered that album. In three different genres. Yeah, and three in different, three different mixes, three different styles. Yeah, in three different um, uh Continents is not quite continents. Is it like um Regions maybe? Three that different that regions, there we it. go. Regions of entertainment because obviously each region has different entertainment sort of standards, different like uh disc encodings, and basically it was to lean into that. Instead of just that... Uh, Mutt Lang's idea, I believe, instead of just putting the album out in different territories, it was well, what's popular in Europe, what's popular in Asia and what's popular in America? And it was three different albums mixed in a way to lean into each of those um, regions. And that's why the European version, that don't impress me much, is like a a, a a Europop sort of dance mix, which is fantastic. And And then I never really realized until I listened to the original, the American version, that it's just a country song. Yeah. But the song, the song is the same. The song is the same song. Yeah. Very different feeling in places, but ultimately nothing really, like the song, if you're singing along to it, there's no difference. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's very interesting um, when it comes to this as an argument because obviously you want to fit into some kind of... Well, some people don't want to fit in some kind of box, actually, but a lot of artists will want to be in a particular area. They'll want to be in a zone of genres, you would imagine. I would say that some of the most um, creative in their zones were like 2010's alt-rock because rock was sort of like... Left a bit, It's sort of... I, I feel like rock was almost, like, killed in yeah. the 2010s because yeah. it, it didn't seem to be anywhere. But the, the rock that was there was these alternative rock bands. I always, like, cite bands like Imagine Dragons and Bastille and... Walk the Moon. Walk the Moon. Churches, even though they're less rocky, but they seem to have got more rocky over time as well. Or you could say um bands like Glass Animals, Fit the Mold as well. Yeah. Uh, there, there is a lot of them, but they sort of had to be very creative because they could present themselves as a rock band, but at the same time, they had to incorporate incorporate like electronic drums, trap hats, you know. They're, you regularly hear like with Imagine Dragons, like they're basically rapping sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And they're using completely different like songwriting devices. Or they'll, they'll put a drop in instead of a chorus yeah. and things like that, you know. These little things that obviously a drop as we know it today, it just wasn't there. And then it just suddenly happened in arrangements and songs. And then it was like the staple all the way through, like the late late 2000s, all the way through to the 2010s. It was all about having a drop. And then you saw no matter what genre you was in, you could add a drop instead of a chorus. And it's a completely different arrangement tool that just wasn't there before that people can use that uh, weightlessness feeling before the drop, that's still a staple of music where you pull all the percussion and drums out on the pre-chorus and you go for like a weightless pre-chorus, whereas I feel like that's such an uncommon songwriting device in like, say, before the 2000s. Like, I can't think of many songs at all where the pre-chorus is the sparsest section in the arrangement. Even like a lot of electronic music in the... um Uh, Before the year 2000, a lot of it just has a rolling drum beat and they don't really take that drum beat out or put it back in. It's just like continuous. Even I would argue like Daft Punk saves that sort of stuff for the bridges in the songs. The pre-choruses tend to just be... The pre-choruses tend to just roll... But the bridge will be the weightless section. Yeah, and some of the early Daft Punk songs, they just there is it's just a rolling loop for like five minutes and it doesn't re- I mean it changes here and there and it sort of morphs over time and there's like intensity ramping up and then sort of relieving, but by at the comparison, end of the day, it's like a static arrangement. Yeah, yeah, it's just it's just a block and it's just start music finish on some of those songs on um Homework and uh, even discovery to an extent, but discovery definitely play about with arrangements a lot more than homework. Um, Homework is just like fought to the floor the entire entire time almost. So, yeah, it, it is interesting when you look at genre to music to marketing and they're sort of tied together and they can move freely some people might say well i want to do a visual style that doesn't actually go with the musical style i'm doing you see that a lot with say synthwave you'll have a lot of rock bands like dragonforce using like synthwave visual staples yeah Yeah, synthwave visuals but then the album will just sound like dragonforce and then there's bands like reckless love that take the entire package and just say we're going to do this we're just going to Bring the guitars up in the mix but ultimately they were they on their newest album have just made a synthwave record and it's still a fantastic rock album though because ultimately the rock songs they've but, just dressed them up like synthwave songs with the keyboards the branding and then like sound design leaning into it like calling the song outrun and knowing actually having some kind of research in what they're doing whereas a lot of people just don't do that they're just don't research it. Was you feel like Reckless Love actually understand what Synthwave is on their Synthwave album. Yeah. Which definitely what, helps. What was cool as well is the um the singer Ollie Ollie Herman, I want yeah, to say. Yeah. Um he had like a, a um Synthwave playlist on his Spotify, which was a it had a very good selection. And as you say, it's actually nice sometimes to see a band pivot into a a new sort of genre or new sound that actually know what they're doing. Cause sometimes people pivot into a new genre and it's like, Oh, do you even listen to this? I, mean, I feel like dubstep, there was a lot of people who went, yeah, let's do dubstep, but really didn't, they they didn't know anything about they it. They might not have actually wanted to do it. Uh, you have like, and this goes in all forms. You have say like Biffy Clyro, Black Chandeliers. You're sort of leaning in, scratching in, the surfaces of or, dubstep with or the way you're using the guitar, incorporating that. But they, be it different. Then you have obviously a lot of singers. Uh, after dubstep became really popular, had like dubstep drops. Whether they wanted to or not, it might be the label step in, put the foot down, girl. Yeah, you're getting into dubstep because it's hot right now, you know. You don't know why on some, particularly like the major labels, it's always hard to figure out who's doing what and why that will happen. Maybe the singer will have said, I want to do this. Maybe one of the producers will have said, no, you're doing this. You know, I know it's a collaborative effort, but depending on the label, depending on the dynamic between the team, some people get forced to do stuff. Some people ask to do stuff, don't they? So you have labels like... Frontiers, which are almost genre-specific labels, like on the rock side, you have Frontiers. On the dance side, you'll have labels like UKF, Hospital hospitals. Hospitals. um, You'll have like New Retro Wave, Synthwave, lots of these labels because it's very easy for them to basically group up a genre and say we're gonna exclusively do this. Like Future Funk, you have Neon City Records. There's loads that come to mind. So obviously with Frontier Records. The only problem they have is you end up in this scenario where to somebody who's not really, really into the subtleties of genre, all of the artists can appear the same. That's the only dilemma you have in that situation. I think there's, there's a lot of factors that lead to that. So say a record label like Frontiers, they will have an in-house team like most of these labels where they will um, mix, master produce definitely the artwork a lot of it you can see it's in-house so if the band isn't bringing anything to the table but the songs then it goes through like the the funnel the factory funnel, goes through the chain yeah and and all of a sudden if there isn't anything but you know like decent AOR songs well they're going to sound the same as the next band that has decent AOR songs because ultimately there's a lot of personality in the way a song uh, can be like mixed and packaged and And the creativity of a mix. For me, this is where bands like, say, Cray, Palace, Eclipse work Art stand out on a label like that because they they have that melodic rock feel, but they also bring an element of production to, to their music that you don't hear across the board on a label like that. Yeah, and it's, say, like, with Work of Art, it's the use of synthesizers, and some of them are not, like, vintage synthesizers. Some of them is quite modern and quite forward-thinking synthesizer as well as having, like, vocal stacks, Queen-esque vocal stacks and stuff that really start to bring the songs out and elevate the songs to the next level, where them... And, and also the work of art absolutely mix the hell out of their tracks like they're loud they're punchy they yeah. sound great but they also have creative effects instead yes. of just regular effects like there's one thing to put a delay on a singer there's another thing to take the backing vocals put a delay swell on them and just have like a swell of backing vocals coming in to start a song because that's a lot more powerful to a lot of people yeah. than just say a delay on the singer and it's all about ways you could dress up an arrangement and ways to use creative mixing that makes your standard say aor track stand out and this is the same like even like with say drum and bass dimension blending trance and drum and bass together yeah it gives it well and then obviously on the new track they've got uh, orchestral stabs all over the place as well and it just makes it different from stands everything out. else it it stands out when you listen to it you immediately go well this song has personality it's not like every other drum and bass song i've heard it's it's different and that's the thing with any genre on on in like any catalogue of music It's how do you make your music stand out in comparison to everything else that's there there's like i feel like there's two girls as a musician in a music scene there's number one is to sound like the scene because that's how you get into the scene. Sound like everybody else there. Yeah. And then once you achieve that, you're like, well, now I don't, now I need to stand out. And then it's like, how do you, how do you stay within the realms of where you have put yourself and also like bridge yourself to give yourself like something that stands out, something that's like either creatively interesting or like, like you were saying, how do you incorporate another genre or style into that genre that you're making without losing the genre you've, like, if you're a drum and bass DJ, how do you incorporate, like, trans or happy hardcore, or whatever it is, without losing drum and bass status as an artist? Yeah, Or is that something that you even care about? That's the other debate in the first place. Yeah, I think we also, in this sort of debate a lot of artists are trying to shake the shackles of genre and say well i can do whatever i want you know like, artists like Rina saoyama come to mind she doesn't care what the genre is she's doing yeah. it and it's going to be like a different genre every song on the album and that's great from one person's perspective but if you maybe like a certain thing if you like one of her songs maybe you only get two of them on the yes. album if you like her doing a, a specific style so yes. it's like it's like um Yeah, it's a weird thing. Like we talk about, say, quality and quantity. It's like, well, with genre, that dictates whether you as a fan thinks that is good because you could like vocal vocal pop and you could not be too jazzed about hearing heavy rock or you could like dance and then as soon as it's not dancy, you're like, well, I came here for beats. I didn't come here for like emotional piano music. And, you know, there's this like, dilemma you have obviously you need range as an artist and if you do a gig and every song sounds the same is it a detractor I would say it is definitely can be definitely can can be an issue in a live environment you don't want every song to sound the same because you need different moments during a concert yeah but I think with like say people like Rina Sawayama it's an interesting thing because there's, there's another again there's two arguments to it if they can get say they've got two electronic, two rock, two pop, two weird or experimental and a two jazz ju- one. Yeah, jazz. two two like piano acousticy jazz whatever whatever you want to say as an example. If they can land songs off that album on a myriad of different playlists and a, and actually hit a myriad of audiences that all go, "Well, I like this Rena Sawayama am a person." Then I would argue they do a good job because then If they can convert them passive listeners into active fans, then they're really, really getting the most bang for the buck. They're getting a lot more exposure than they could be. Yeah. But if all of them people then go to check the album out, which I'm sure not many people actually do these days, but I'd like to do that. (laughs) And they go, oh, well, I thought it was all going to be like this song I heard and it's not. Does that, push them away from being an active fan and does that keep them in their passive zone because i think that's a very tough thing to crack as an artist like how do you how do you go from people saying that's a cool song to people going no i'm i'm ride or die this artist it doesn't matter what they put out because this is what taylor swift fans are like they're like i don't it doesn't matter what she puts out she could put out a dubstep album or anything and or she could pivot i mean can you imagine taylor swift doing like heavy like screamer rock can you imagine they're doing that yeah like hardcore punk or whatever. but her fans would stay if she did if she went and just doing i'm doing a straight up i'm talking 1977 on the edge punk album yeah, yeah. her fans would stay with her yeah and that's and almost what marley cyrus did with plastic yeah. hearts it was leaning into that particularly for the branding i think the songs didn't quite have yeah that. the songs weren't very heavy heavy but, but- but obviously, the branding and the entire visual package yeah. was basically that uh, CBGB's punk thing. Yeah, that's what she went for, and that's the thing Like they've they've got. I would say active fans. I'm using this like I'm talking about speakers, but I think it's a good analogy because there is two types of listener. There's people who listen and go, "I don't mind that." Yeah, it's it's in my Spotify playlist. There, they're all right, and people are like. I just want more. Give me the demos. Give me the unreleased songs. I'm pre-ordering everything. Yeah, I'm pre-ordering I everything. I haven't heard anything, but I'm going to buy it and support the artist regardless. So, And I think that is the audience everybody wants because that's the audience that is not only more grateful and more probably satisfying to release music to because they just appreciate what they get. But it's also the most creatively freeing audience because you can go, well, they don't seem to care what I'm doing as long as it's, you know, it reaches a certain quality. Yeah. It it hits the bar of what you would expect from that artist, but they could really pivot in any direction and people are probably going to be happy with it. Yeah. And it is interesting to see how different artists evolve in different markets and that's basically been our genre slash marketing slash artwork discussion that's sort of gone all around the place it's hard staying stay in one box well it is yeah and that ties into the genre theme of this episode doesn't it yeah um so yeah hopefully hopefully you've had a nice time listening and you've thought what we've said is interesting think about you know how do you want to make music if you do make music and if you're a consumer What do you prefer? Do you prefer people to stay in the lane? Do you prefer people to go out their comfort zone? Are you an active fan or a passive listener? That's the thing to think about. And if you are both, who are you more engaged with? There's the question. Right, so that's been the and Audio podcast. I've been Peter. I've been Mark. See you next week.